Chapter 47 Fiora and Colette shared a look before entering the reception room. Colette seemed nearly as nervous as Fiora felt. Apparently Prince Darian had made a bad impression on everyone at his princess test. But Colette was only nervous about a few minutes of unpleasant conversation. Fiora risked discovery if the prince recognized her. She searched the parlor when she entered and breathed a sigh of relief. He wasn't there. Colette relaxed a little as well. She walked to the other side of the room, where Gustav was speaking with Lady Annabelle and the man with dark hair that Fiora didn't recognize. Gustav smiled brightly when he saw Fiora. She smiled back and resisted the urge to look at her ring to see if she had completely won his heart yet. It seemed the gift had worked. Not quite as intended, since the statue was apparently Gustav's father, but that was better in a way. She had caught his attention and given him something of value. If she could keep her identity a secret, she may be able to win his heart after all. Now where was Prince Darian? Princess Colette, what a pleasure to see you again. The young man beside Gustav bowed and reached up to keep his crown from falling off his head. Fiora hadn't noticed the crown before. Both she and Colette cast a questioning glance at Gustav. Please, allow me to introduce His Royal Highness Crown Prince Edric of Eldria. Oh? Colette's small exclamation of surprise seemed involuntary. Fiora raised an eyebrow. Gustav seemed surprised by her surprise. Were you acquainted with Prince Darian? He signed. Fiora shook her head, cursing herself for reacting. Lady Mare should not know either Prince of Eldria, much less which one was supposed to inherit the crown. He isn't the crown prince, Colette signed. Apparently he is now, Gustav answered. He said his older brother was suddenly incapacitated. I see what you mean about secret conversations, Prince Edric said to Lady Annabel. I recognize Princess Colette, of course, but who is this lady? He turned his attention to Fiora. She felt her face flush under his scrutiny. That's Lady Mare, Lady Annabel said. It's a nickname, and she isn't really a lady. She's a mute that King Gustav found naked on the beach and adopted. How generous! Prince Edric's searching gaze dropped lower as he studied Fiora from head to toe. Fiora wished she had her voice so she could tell him to go swim in a moat. She had to settle for glaring, but he was no longer looking at her face, so he didn't notice. If he didn't stop looking at her like that, she might slap him to get his attention. Gustav stepped between Fiora and Edric, cutting her off from his gaze. Lady Annabel, didn't you agree to sing for us this evening? Yes, of course. I believe Thomas is going to accompany me. She waved to the translator. Thomas nodded and left the Dowager Queen to take his place at the piano in the corner. Charming, Prince Edric said. I look forward to hearing you sing, Lady Annabel. I have a great fondness for music. And other things, apparently. Fiora rolled her eyes as Prince Edric followed Lady Annabel across the room. At least she didn't have to worry about being recognized and exposed by the former crown prince. Prince Edric had not been involved in the princess test in Eldria and didn't know her. Her disguise remained safe for the time being. King Gustav is also very fond of music, Lady Annabel said. 
he has declared himself to be in love with a mysterious lady with a fine voice. She nudged Prince Edric's shoulder and gave Gustav a meaningful look. She's trying to make you jealous, Fiora signed. They can have each other. Do you know Prince Darian? You seem surprised to see Edric instead. No, I don't know him. I only noticed Colette's confusion. Gustav turned to Colette for confirmation, but she had taken over translating for Dowager Queen Bernadine while Thomas played for Annabelle. I believe you promised me a dance? Gustav said. He offered his hand. Fiora took it, and Thomas began to play. Other couples followed the king's example and made their way to the dance floor. Pain shot through Fiora's feet as she matched Gustav's steps. She ignored it and focused on his eyes instead. There was something in his gaze that she couldn't quite name. Something she hadn't seen when anyone looked at her before. Lady Annabelle began to sing. Her voice was clear and sweet and didn't match her personality at all. Fiora wanted to say this to Gustav, but she couldn't sign while they were dancing. She sighed in frustration and met his gaze instead, willing the words to communicate themselves to him. Dancing isn't the best place for conversation, is it? Fiora grinned in spite of her frustrations. How was it that he always seemed to understand her? I must admit, I have a lot of questions after today. But mostly, I want to say thank you. You saved me from the Kraken. Also, I can't shake the feeling that you had a hand in bringing my father back to me. It wasn't really a question, so Fiora didn't answer. Any conversation about the statue was bound to come around to mermaids and the sea, and she wasn't ready for that yet. Prince Darian's absence had bought her more time. I don't know when or how but I hope someday you will trust me with your story. Perhaps someday. She would have said that if she had her voice. Instead, she shrugged. That seemed to be enough for Gustav, and he didn't press further. The song ended, and Lady Annabelle bowed as the assembled company clapped. She refused Prince Edric's request that she sing another song and set her gaze on Gustav. She wore a predatory smile as she stalked towards him. There was no question about it. Lady Annabel wanted a dance. Fiora loosened her grip on Gustav's hand and prepared to step back. He probably didn't want to dance with Lady Annabel, but it would be impolite to refuse. And Gustav was always polite. Lady Mayor, would you do me the honor of letting me escort you to the gala tomorrow? Fiora's eyes widened as Gustav kept hold of her hand and pulled her back towards him. He had spoken loud enough for the whole room to hear, and everyone fell silent and stared. She studied his face and found only steady regard in his eyes. She nodded, not trusting her hands to be steady enough to answer with sign language. Silent, secret conversations were one thing. A declaration this public was quite another. Lady Annabel stood frozen in her tracks, too surprised to claim her dance. Gustav smiled at Fiora and something in her heart melted a little. Something buried so deep that she hadn't realized it was frozen. The statue plan had worked better than anticipated. Gustav was well on his way to loving Lady Mare. The magical glow spread further over the pearl as they began another dance. Chapter 48 Gustav nodded to Thomas, who took his cue and began to play a slow waltz. Lady Mare fell into step with him again, watching him with her enormous blue eyes. 
Gustav's heart beat faster than the slow dance justified. He hadn't planned to ask her to accompany him to the gala. The words had been as spontaneous as the kiss. A way to banish the insecurity that haunted her eyes. But he didn't regret it. Being with Lady Mare felt right in a way that Gustav couldn't articulate. She was surrounded by mystery. He didn't even know her real name. But he knew her. Was that enough? Lady Annabel danced past in Prince Edric's arms. She laughed a little too loudly at whatever the prince said. Lady Mare rolled her eyes, and Gustav smiled. No, he didn't regret it. Lady Mare stumbled, and Gustav supported her weight while she caught her balance. You're injured. She shook her head, looking fierce in spite of the tears welling in her eyes. Lady Mare, we can stop dancing. I would be happy to sit with you while you recover. She shook her head again and pressed her lips together in a stubborn expression. Gustav placed a little more pressure on her waist, wishing he could hold her upright and heal whatever was hurting her. We'll have to open the gala with a dance while everyone watches. I'm sorry. I should have asked you in private first. I didn't mean to put you in a difficult position. Lady Mare smirked, managing to look both amused and annoyed. Gustav had no doubt she would have plenty to say if she had a voice or use of her hands. But her expression seemed to say that it was fine, and he should stop apologizing. At least, he hoped that was what she was saying. You don't mind? She shook her head. Gustav relaxed a little and focused on the dance. In spite of the pained look in her eyes, Lady Mare danced beautifully. Dowager Queen Bernadine nodded in approval from the side of the room. Even Colette looked pleased. Marquis Corbo looked annoyed, but that was nothing new. The music ended far too soon. Lady Mare slid her hand off Gustav's shoulder and gave a wobbly curtsy. Gustav bowed low. My lady. My king. She looked mischievous as she signed. Her attitude was nowhere near as respectful as her words. Gustav grinned. I think perhaps we should all save our energy for dancing at the gala, Marquis Corbo said. Tomorrow will be a full day, and today has been quite trying as well. He glared at Gustav as if everything that had happened today was the king's fault. Gustav considered protesting. The reception had just started. But he wouldn't mind ending it early. Lady Mare looked like she needed rest, and Gustav wanted to check on his father. He turned to Dowager Queen Bernadine. Is it unspeakably rude to end things so soon? Possibly, but I don't think anyone will mind. Gustav turned to Prince Edric, who was still holding Lady Annabel's hand even though the dance had ended. Do you mind an early night, Your Highness? We have all been rather busy with gala preparations. Marquis Corbo may have a point. Not at all. I must confess, I am rather tired from my sea voyage. The prince kissed Lady Annabel's hand and crossed the room to say goodnight to the Dowager Queen. Colette excused herself from the conversation as soon as Thomas resumed his translating duties. She hurried over to Lady Mare. Would you like to walk with me back to your rooms, Lady Mare? I'm sure you must be exhausted after today. Lady Mare looked to Gustav before nodding her head. Colette followed the gesture and signed to her brother. Don't stay up all night researching magic, Gustav. 
It took months to find father. It may take as long to free him. Gustav shrugged, not willing to promise anything. Colette raised an eyebrow but didn't press the matter. Gustav watched Colette and Lady Mare leave, then turned his attention to wishing everyone a good night so he could go to the library to check on the statue. His father was just as they had left him. King Francois looked peaceful in the moonlight. Gustav stared at him as if wishful thinking alone could break the curse. Then he turned to the books Elaine had spread on the table. She had already gone to bed, but had left notes highlighting pages that might be helpful. Gustav skimmed through them. The book with the most notes was one about curses. He had read it after his father disappeared. Elaine had marked information about curses that transformed humans into beasts or put people to sleep for a hundred years. Magic that could be triggered with words or enchanted objects. On one page, she had lightly underlined a passage. The best way to break a curse is always connected to the casting of the curse. Some curses can best be dissolved by specific actions or objects that are woven into the design of the magic. Others bind the casting and the breaking together, so that only the same kind of magic that made the curse can reverse it. Gustav wished he understood magic well enough to know exactly what that meant. The key to breaking Stefan's curse had been a kiss. A specific action. But a kiss had not freed his father. So either King Francois's curse was designed to be broken by a different action, or it would require the same type of magic that had cast it. Which meant that even if Gustav could discover what magic had been used to turn his father into a statue, he would need to find someone who knew the particular kind of magic to undo it. How many kinds of magic were there? Lena worked shadow magic, and Elaine had described enchanted objects. Was mermaid magic similar or something else entirely? Gustav dropped his head into his hands, suddenly feeling very tired. He had thought finding his father would fix everything, but it had only brought more confusion. He read the passages again, trying to make sense of the text. It was no good. He may be king, but he was completely useless here. Find King Francois. Gustav studied the red light as it pointed at the statue. Without it, he might have assumed his father was dead and given up hope. But the ring only tracked people who were alive. So somehow, his father was still alive under that stone. The light faded, and Gustav sighed. As much as he wanted to keep searching, he didn't know where to turn next. He needed sleep so he could be king tomorrow and stay awake for the gala. Perhaps rest would help him unravel the mystery. Gustav walked slowly through the castle, realizing for the first time that the encounter with the kraken had left him with several large bruises on his legs. He didn't bother to change when he reached his room. He collapsed onto his bed fully clothed and let himself sink into oblivion. Chapter 49 Fiora awoke with a distinct feeling that something was wrong. She lay still and took a few deep breaths to steady her nerves. Of course something was wrong. She was cursed and dying and need to flirt her way to survival. But it was more than that. Moonlight streamed through her window, telling her that it was middle of the night. A cool breeze washed over her, blowing wisps of hair across her face. The window and curtains had been closed when she fell asleep. Fiora sat up and froze. There was someone in her room. A woman. She wore a black cloak with a hood pulled over her face and hair. 
she was nearly invisible in the shadows, and she tensed when Fiora moved. Then she edged closer and reached for the conch shell. Fiora tried to scream, but no sound came out. The woman laughed softly as she claimed the shell and put it in a satchel strapped around her waist. Fiora jumped to her feet, ready to fight and retrieve the conch. But pain shot through her legs when she stood. She collapsed back onto the bed. The woman stayed still, watching. Fiora panted for air and tried to push away the agony. What did the intruder want? Would she be satisfied with the shell? Or was she here to do more than steal? The woman seemed to be considering this as well. Fiora was an easy victim. Silent and helpless. She took a step forward and reached into her satchel. For a weapon. Fiora grabbed the nearest thing to her. The bell on her nightstand. She raised it, meaning to throw it at the intruder in defense. It made a loud clang, so Fiora shook the bell instead, ringing it and making as much sound as possible. The woman sprinted out the door. Fiora dropped the bell and ran after her, fighting through the pain and forcing her shaking legs to keep moving. She needed that shell. Sweat beaded on her forehead as she pursued the thief through empty, moonlit hallways. Fiora lost sight of her somewhere near the library. She leaned against a wall and gasped for air as tears ran down her face. The curse was getting worse, and someone had just stolen the song she needed to break it. A soft sound echoed through the hallway. Someone humming. Fiora limped towards it until she reached the library. Flickering light streamed under the door. Fiora pushed it open. Elaine sat at a table reading and humming to herself as she worked. She flipped through pages and took notes with a quill pen. She had a streak of ink across her nose. She didn't look up, and Fiora watched her in silence. Had Elaine stolen the conch? She had studied magic, so it was possible she recognized the mermaid charm and wanted it for her studies. She would have had time to remove her cloak and hide it somewhere before Fiora came in. But how could she have known the shell was in Fiora's room? Fiora swallowed. If Elaine was responsible for the theft, she might be dangerous. But if she wasn't, she might have seen the person who was. Was it worth the risk? At this point, Fiora had no choice but to take risks. She knocked on the open door to get Elaine's attention. Elaine looked up and blinked in surprise as if waking from a trance. Oh, Lady Mayor. What are you doing up so late? Fiora raised an eyebrow, reflecting the question back at Elaine. The girl made a face and scratched her nose, leaving another streak of ink across her skin. They kicked me out earlier, so I waited until everyone went to bed and sneaked back in. This is the most comprehensive book about curses I've ever read. There has to be an answer in here somewhere. She didn't look guilty. Fiora might as well ask a few questions and see if she could gather any information. Did you see anyone run past? I'm sorry. I didn't quite catch that. Could you spell it for me? Fiora hesitated a moment, then walked closer so Elaine could see her in the candlelight. If Elaine attacked her, Fiora wouldn't be able to run fast enough to escape. She would only make the other girl suspicious if she kept her distance. Fiora repeated her question by slowly spelling out the words. Elaine shook her head. I haven't seen anyone. Why do you ask? Fiora considered how to answer. 
If Elaine had stolen the shell, she would doubtless deny seeing anyone. Then again, she was often so engrossed in her books that she failed to notice what was happening around her. I, T, H, O, U, G, H, T, I, H, E, A, R, D, S, O, M, E, O, N, E. There was no point in explaining the robbery. If Elaine was responsible, she would deny everything. If she wasn't, mentioning the shell would raise questions that Fiora would rather not answer. Questions like why a robber would take a seashell instead of a silver candlestick. The silver was far more valuable unless you knew the conch was etched with a magical song. Fiora's heart sank. She hadn't memorized the song. She had almost won Gustav's love, but that wouldn't help her without the song. Even if she recovered her voice, she wouldn't be able to break the curse. She massaged her forehead, trying to push back the headache and panic building in her skull. Surely one of the mermaids knew the notes for the transformation. If she did manage to recover her voice, they could copy the enchantment for her. So why would someone steal it? Elaine watched her with concern. Are you well, Lady Mare? Perhaps you should sit down. Fiora sank into the chair Elaine offered. Losing the shell was bad but not the end. She would simply need to find a mermaid who knew the song after she won Gustav's heart. It would cut her precious time a little shorter. More concerning was the fact that someone in the castle knew she was a mermaid. And they wanted to keep her silent. Were they working with Leander? Was this connected to the earthquakes and the kraken attacks? Why were they so determined to sabotage her life? Fiora looked to the statue of King Francois. The kraken had been trying to recover it. Maybe whoever wanted her quiet had also cursed the king. Elaine followed Fiora's gaze and frowned at the statue. I've read everything in this book about breaking curses, but I haven't found anything useful. True love's kiss is a common method, but everyone with any connection to the king has already tried that. True love's kiss. Fiora wished her enchantment could be broken so easily. Of course, that would still require her to win someone's love. Elaine continued, talking to herself as much as Fiora. From what I understand, how to break a curse is usually woven into the way it is cast. So if we knew how King Francois was transformed, we would know how to free him. Fiora raised an eyebrow. That seemed a difficult thing to discover. It wasn't as if King Francois could tell them. Elaine shrugged. I know. It seems hopeless. The other common way is exposure to the type of magic that casts the curse. For example, if mermaids cast this, mermaids would have to break it. I, D, O, U, B, T, I, T, W, A, S, M, E, R, M, A, I, D, S. Elaine's eyes sparkled with interest. Oh? Do you have experience with mermaids, Lady Mare? Fiora glared at her and folded her hands into her lap. Elaine stared at her for a few moments, then shrugged and turned back to the books. It is also common for curses to bind their victim with a set of constraints. Things they can't talk about without severe consequences. She said this casually, but her eyes glittered in the candlelight. 
Fiora fought to keep her face neutral. I, S, T, H, A, T, S, O, O. Her own situation was more complicated than that, but Elaine was less likely to ask inconvenient questions if she thought Fiora was unable to answer rather than refusing to do so. I've read that mermaids like to decorate their hair with bits of glass and shells. There are several accounts of sailors seeing them do it. Fiora's eyes narrowed. Elaine was far too close to the mark for comfort. Likely the only thing keeping her from asking outright if Fiora was a mermaid was her belief that Fiora was bound by the constraints of a curse. Even if she hadn't stolen the shell, she was dangerous. G. O. O. D. N. I. G. H. T. Fiora stood and left the library as quickly as she could without limping. She reached her room, closed her window, and pushed a chair in front of her door. Would that be enough to keep out intruders? Maybe she should report the theft to the guards. She could at least tell Gustav. But the story might make him suspicious, and she needed to keep her secrets until she won his love. She was so close now. Fiora looked at her pearl ring. It shimmered in the moonlight. Only a tiny part of the surface was dull now. Was it enough to break the enchantment? She tried to sing the part of the song she remembered, but her voice remained out of reach. 